Good morning, Grace. It is good to be with you all this morning. We might worship together on this first day of Advent. It is amazing to me that we are here, that we are on a stage, or we have a stage with Christmas trees, and and we are uh, starting a new Advent series this morning. Just incredible that this time of the year is already upon us. But it is, it's the first day of Advent today. And I don't want to assume here, I know that there are some uh, amongst us that grew up in homes that did not celebrate Advent. Advent was not a part of your family or your context growing up. That was me. I'm not confident that I heard the word Advent until I moved to Southern California about eight years ago. I don't think I ever heard it, or if I did, it never registered in my mind the word Advent. I asked my wife, Raylynn, if she celebrated Advent when she grew up, and she said the only reason she knew about it was because they had a calendar that uh, she would get chocolate or candy every so often as they worked through that, and that was the extent of her knowledge of Advent. So if that is you, uh, if you're one of those people who, this seems a strange thing to, to refer to Advent and not necessarily the Christmas season, uh, then just know that you're amongst friends here. Uh, we all come from different places and we have varying levels of understanding uh, where this is concerned. I did not grow up celebrating, knowing what Advent was, anything like that. But over the past several years, I have grown to love Advent. And to so enjoy celebrating Advent and participating in Advent. Advent simply means coming. Coming. When we speak of Advent, we speak of uh, the coming of Christ. And so for the past 1,500-ish years, the church has celebrated Advent, has participated in Advent. And they've done this as a way to, to cultivate glad and expectant hearts as we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, uh, there's multiple aspects of Advent. One aspect of Advent is, is sympathy. It's sympathy. In Advent, we sympathize with those who have come before us. We sympathize with the prophets of old, with, with Israel, and we sympathize with them and seek to develop their mind as they wait for the coming Messiah at the first Advent, the birth of Jesus. And so we, we get in their minds and we remember that there was a time before Christ and, and we seek to allow our hearts to be, to be stirred up and we seek to develop expectant hearts as we consider that Christ came first. Uh, but then there's another aspect of Advent, uh, an, a, an aspect of, of waiting presently. As one author puts it, uh, the first Advent was waiting for Christ to come in the flesh. The second Advent is waiting for Christ to come in glory. And that's where we currently are, right? We are currently waiting this side of Easter, this side of the incarnation for Christ to come to return in glory, to to come and make all things right, to bring with him his kingdom that we might fully enjoy him forever. And so in Advent, we do these various things that we might develop the sort of heart that is glad and expectant. We anticipate the coming of Christ that we might wholly worship God and wholly give ourselves to Christ this Christmas season. And so that's what we want to do as a church uh, for the next 
month, for the next several Sundays, we are going to be considering the advent of Christ, his first and second advent. Multiple ways we'll be doing this. We've talked about some this morning already, different events, uh, Advent event, uh, Christmas concerts, different things to stir us up and cause us to be expectant and, and to anticipate Christ, that we might be worshipful sorts of people. We're also going to be doing this through the preaching of the word. You see on our screen, we have a new series that we're going to be uh, uh, doing the next several weeks called Messiah. We want to consider why the Messiah came and how the Messiah came. And so from up front on Sunday mornings, we're going to be preaching in light of that. And once again, the hope is that as we do this, we will be people who consider Jesus well that we would be glad in Christ, that we would be worshipful in Christ as we expect his second coming. So we're going to start this off by turning to Isaiah 40. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Read verses 1 and 2. Comfort, my people. Comfort, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Where do we begin this morning? We begin... The same place that Handel's Messiah began. The word of comfort. We begin in the same place that that so many who celebrated Advent over the years, the same place they've started with a word of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. What a wonderful place to begin. This is the best place to begin. Why? Why? Well, uh, Isaiah 40 stands at an interesting juncture in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 1 through 39 makes up a unit. And then Isaiah 40 through 55 makes up another unit. And there's more after that. But the, the first unit, Isaiah 1 through 39, largely contains a word of judgment. Israel has sinned. Israel has rebelled. And so judgment is now Israel's lot. Isaiah prophesies that Israel will experience judgment. They will experience the just judgment of God in light of their willful rebellion. And that's going to be exile. And so Isaiah 39 closes with this final word of judgment that Israel will be carried away. They'll be carried away. They will be strangers in a foreign land. Israel will have her name taken away. She will have her land taken away. She will have her heritage taken away. In a sense, she'll be cut off even from the presence of God. This is the judgment of the Lord. Isaiah 1 through 39 tells us that Israel has abandoned her God and she is experiencing the just consequences of that willful rebellion. It's a harsh word. Isaiah 40 on the other hand, tells us that even though Israel has abandoned her God, God has not abandoned his people. 
This is an emotional word to Israel. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. These are words that are meant to be felt deep in our bones. These are words that are speak to our hearts. Comfort. This Advent season, the word for us is the same word uttered to Israel. Comfort. Comfort. We may not be literal exiles in Babylon, but we are people who have experienced a sort of spiritual exile apart from the knowledge of God. We were dead in our sins. And and even now, uh, even the church, we are people who are strangers in a foreign land. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship is not of this earth. Nevertheless, we are here for a time and a season. And while we are here, we experience the pangs of sin and death all around us. We experience the, the destruction and the, the pain and the, the fallout of living in a fallen and messed up world. We cry out from our bones for peace. We cry out for comfort. And this word of comfort is offered to us. Comfort is a theme that no doubt will be developed as we spend these next several weeks considering Advent. But but. For this morning, I want us to think about the idea, why should we or why should anybody experience and feel comfort? Why should we feel and experience comfort? Well, as we continue in Isaiah 40, we'll see the answer to that. The reason why? Because the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Verses 3 through 11, read these with me, please. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Why is comfort the word for Israel and for us this morning? Isaiah 40 lays it out for us. Verses three through five tell us that there is a coming king. That's what's being talked about in in verses three and five when we see this idea of a highway being made in mountains and valleys. 
Uh, In the ancient Near East, whenever a king and his court were on the move, his majesty demanded that highways be built, that roads be built that would befit a king traveling. And so if there was a, 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 a mountain, then a, then a road would be made to, to travel over the mountain. If there was a valley, a bridge would be built to travel over the valley. Roads were constructed that the, the king and his court would move. And so we're seeing a, a king being prophesied here. And a king, not any mere king, but a king whose majesty demands that not just that, that land be traveled, but that mountains be brought down. And valleys be lifted up so that this king could travel on a perfectly smooth road. This is how majestic and awesome this king is. He's a glorious king. Verse 5 tells us that the sure result of this king is that the glory of the Lord will be seen in him. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 makes it plain who this king is. For it tells us that the glory of the Lord will be seen where? In the face of Christ. In fact, verse nine tells us that when we behold this king, we behold God himself. When God comes, verse 10, he comes with might. He rules perfectly. He judges perfectly as only a perfect king can. Isaiah 40, one through 10 is interesting It's interesting because for 10 verses, we see comfort being promised because a high and heavenly king is coming. One who shines the glory of the Lord. One who is majestic. One who brings the mountains down and raises the valleys up. One who comes in might. And this is all comforting. This is truly comforting. This is an able God, a competent God. And then we see verse 11. This king whose majesty is so incredible. This king who is mighty, who rules with his strong arm. He will not only come in might, he will not only come able to carry out his plan, but he will come in tenderness as a shepherd. Over the next several weeks, we're going to consider how the Messiah came and what we'll see is that various images have been given for us to better understand the coming of Jesus. We see that that Christ came in many ways. We even see that in our passage right here. In these 11 verses, we see that Jesus will come as a king. He will come as God. He will come as a shepherd. This morning, we want to hone in on this idea that the Messiah who is coming and who will come again comes as a shepherd. He comes as a shepherd. And this is really comforting news. And so we're going to spend our time focusing on verse 11 and a few other passages that will help us to better understand this. And we're going to uh, center our time in the word around a central question. And that question is, why is it a comfort that the Messiah comes as a shepherd? Why is it a comfort that the Messiah comes as a shepherd? Another way to think about that is, is why do we need the Messiah to come as a shepherd? Why do we need Christ to come as a shepherd? Three reasons. First, because we are lost and we need to be found. We'll begin by looking at the most 
basic reason we need a shepherd because if there is no shepherd, we will be lost forever. Second, because we are broken and we need to be mended. In other words, we need a shepherd to care for us as only a shepherd can. We need to be restored. We need to be cared for continually. And last, because we are vulnerable and we need to be led. We need the guidance of the shepherd in and of ourselves. We will only wander into danger and destruction. We need a faithful guide, a faithful shepherd to guide us. So this is where we'll be this morning, focusing on verse 11, uh, expounding on these points. Let me pray for the rest of our time in the word. Father, we praise you that we can gather together like this, this morning as a faith family and consider your word, be encouraged by your word. But we pray that by your spirit, you would take this word and you would comfort our hearts. Lord, help us now uh, to worship you in spirit and truth. We offer you this time as an act of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So once again, our first point, why do we need the Messiah to come as a shepherd? Because we are lost and we need to be found. Because we are lost and we need to be found. I think we see this point uh, right at the beginning of verse 11. Let me read verse 11 again and then I'll hone in on this. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So right in the very first phrase, notice that this future Messiah will come and he will tend his flock. At the most basic level, what is a shepherd? A shepherd is one who tends to a flock. Without a flock, there is no shepherd. A flockless shepherd is just a guy standing in a field with a stick. This may seem like a basic point, but it's hugely important. Consider Israel. Where is Israel in Isaiah 40? Uh, Isaiah in, in, in this passage is prophesying to future Israel who is in exile in Babylon. It's an exile in Babylon. Israel is not in Israel. No, Israel is, is far away, is, is in a distant land. She's experiencing her just judgment for sin. We touched on this earlier, but, but exile means all sorts of terrible things. It's not merely being in a different place. It's not merely us moving from Southern California to somewhere else in the country. That's not all that is involved. No, Israel wasn't able to properly worship her God. If you think back to the book of Daniel, you think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was persecution that kept them from being able to enjoy worshiping God. There was outside forces bearing in on them that, that kept them from, or that tried to keep them from worshiping in spirit and truth. They were kept from worshiping God simply because of where they were located. God calls for Israel to worship God in a certain kind of context, in the temple. They were far away from the temple. Not only that, but the temple was actually destroyed. So worship was actually thwarted. It was messed up because of exile. Once again, if you think back to the book of Daniel, you, you remember that, that names were actually taken away. Israel's ethnic identity, her very name was taken away. She was cleansed from her name. There was a certain cultural indoctrination that happened for those who were taken off into exile. 
This was a terrible ordeal. This was a, a messed up ordeal. This was a psychologically dangerous ordeal. Israel finds herself in a terrible place. A place where she surely begins to wonder, has God abandoned us? Do God's promises still hold? God has made all these promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's made promises to David. He's made promises about how he will deal with his people. And we have rebelled. Surely we are experiencing a break in these covenant promises. Surely God's word no longer holds. Otherwise, we would not be experiencing what we experience. This has to be the question, right? Do God's promises still hold? Have we so messed this thing up that we are without hope for a future? And that's really the question for us as well. That's really the question for us as well. Has our sin, which we have committed by nature and personally committed against God, has it separated us from our creator who we were created to worship, to know and to enjoy? Have we so messed things up that there is no hope? Are we forever separated from God? Comfort. Comfort my people. Where Israel was faithless, God was faithful. Where we were faithless, God was faithful. That's what we're seeing here. Even though our sin is real and terrible and deserving of justice, God will not abandon his flock. Why should we be comforted that the Messiah comes as a shepherd? Because we are lost and the shepherd seeks us out. The shepherd seeks us out. But let us not think that this is, is simple. Let us not be trite with this. Let us not think that the shepherd merely calls our names. This past week, Raylin, Henry, and I took a road trip up to Central California to Paso Robles, if you know where that is, for Thanksgiving. We have some family up there. And it ended up resulting in a whole lot of driving and time spent in the car for us. We spent about five hours, uh, probably more than that, uh, probably six or seven hours in the car on Wednesday and about the same on Fridays. We traveled back and forth. And, and what I realized is whenever you travel with a young child, you just travel with so much stuff. Our car is full of stuff all for Henry. Rather than I have t- two tiny little bags to go. And, um, and we, so we have all this stuff in our car. We stop by the grocery store. We get a bunch of snacks. And so our, our car just kind of piles up with stuff. And at some point, we're, we're stopped in a parking lot. Raylin's in the back with Henry. And her phone is somewhere in the front, front seat. And she, says, she says, hey, can you find my phone for me? I'm sitting in the front seat. And I look down. We have a center console uh, in, the, in the car. And I see a piece of paper. I lift up the piece of paper, put it down. And I say, I don't see it anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. And she looks at me with this look that's like, I just saw you lazily begin and end your search for my phone by picking up a sheet of paper. Like that concluded your search. And I, and I had the gall to say, I looked everywhere for your phone and I can't find it. I'm sorry. Because I merely picked up a sheet of paper. 
What if that's how God pursued us? What if God merely pursued us by going out onto the back porch and calling out our names as if he was calling out for a dog? And when the dog doesn't come, he goes, well, I'm going back inside. What if all of this promise of comfort was realized in Jesus coming only to say, hey, they live a little too far away. I'm not going to go towards them. Seeking the lost sheep actually is going to cost me a little more than I realize, so I'm just going to hold back. But that's not how God has pursued us in Christ, is it? No, God pursues us to the point of death. John 10 makes this connection clear. The promised Messiah who would come as a shepherd is Jesus. And he identifies himself as the good shepherd. How does Jesus, the good shepherd, pursue his sheep? Verse 11 tells us that he lays his life down for the sheep. And he does this, as verse 9 tells us, that any who would enter through him would receive salvation. This is our promise this morning. This is the comforting word for us this morning. If we have believed in the Lord Jesus, then we were lost, but now we are found. We were lost, but Jesus, the good shepherd, has pursued his sheep. And he has become for us the lamb for sinners slain. That any who would believe in him by grace through faith would have life everlasting, would enter into his fold forever and enjoy his shepherding care forever. If you hear nothing else this morning, then please hear this. Jesus has a flock, a people for his own possession, a people that he has purchased by his very blood. John 10 tells us that that his sheep know his voice. He has called out to his sheep and they have responded to him. He has a people. And if you are a person who has believed in Jesus, then you belong to that flock. Is there a more comforting word? You are forever a part of his fold. That is the gift that is ours in Christ. But the question is, do you belong to that flock? Jesus has a flock. And we have the incredible, unique ability to be a part of that by grace through faith. But do you belong to that flock? Once again, John 10 speaks of of this process where Jesus calls out to those who are his and they respond to his voice. But others, he judges between the goats and the lambs. Part of what a shepherd does is judges. And, and so the question for us is, have we responded to Christ? Have we entered into the gates of God through Christ? This morning, I urge you to consider if you have believed in Jesus. And if you have not, then hear the good shepherd calling. Hear his voice and believe in the Lord Jesus today. This salvation, this care that's being described here can be yours in Christ. So believe today in the Lord Jesus. Be comforted, all you who know Christ. This is a profoundly comforting word. The shepherd has sought us and he has found us and we are his. We are a part of his flock. And know this too, just as uh, we just concluded our, our study of 2 Peter, so much of 2 Peter deals with the reality that Jesus is one day coming back for us. Jesus at his first advent has come for us. He has pursued us and he has found us. And we are, not, we are now a part of his flock. But he is coming back. 
Uh, We don't experience the same sort of lostness, but there is a sense in which we are wandering in a strange land even now. Know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that the good shepherd will one day again return for his sheep. He will come for us. We will experience his tender, loving care as our shepherd. This will happen, and we anticipate that as we consider the second advent. So this first word of comfort for this morning, for us this morning, we can be comforted because we were lost, but now we are found in Jesus. But are we only found? Is that the extent of God's shepherding care for us? This leads to our second point. Why is it good news that the shepherd comes? Why can we be comforted because Jesus came as a shepherd. We are broken and we need to be mended. Because we are broken and we need to be mended. We'll see a second point as we look at the first three lines of verse 11. What does the shepherd do when he comes? First, he, he tends his sheep. He tends his sheep. This is actually sort of redundant. To tend is actually to shepherd. And so, When the shepherd comes, he comes to shepherd as a shepherd. I don't think this sort of repetition is redundant for the sake of redundancy. No, I think there's an emphasis being placed on the function of a shepherd. What do shepherds do? This may not be readily apparent to us because shepherds don't play a huge role in our society, but shepherds do quite a lot. They do all sorts of things. Shepherds seek out those who are lost. This is what we saw in our last point. They protect They feed, they nurture, they groom, they lead, and on and on it goes. The role of shepherd is an involved and intensive sort of role. What we see here is everything that a shepherd is and does, that's how the good shepherd, Jesus, the coming Messiah, will function. He will be all of these things. God will shepherd his flock through the coming shepherd in all of these ways. He will feed, he will build up, he will nurture, he will bind, he will shear. He will care for the flock. But notice there's an emphasis. He will do all of these things, but there's a specific emphasis on the tender care of the shepherd. Notice this in the second and third lines, the second and third phrase of verse 11. What will the shepherd do? The shepherd will gather the lamb in his arms and he will hold the lamb up to his chest. This is incredible. This is incredible. I I really think that Ezekiel 34 speaks to this. This passage so ministered to me as I prepared uh, in thinking about shepherds. In, In Ezekiel 34, God comes and he condemns the shepherds of Israel, these people who were entrusted to care for the people of Israel. But they they don't do that. No, they don't shepherd in a way that is in accordance with, with God's character and his tender loving care for his people. And the result is the people of Israel scatter like sheep. And so God says this in Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. 
I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall sit down or lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. What does God do? First, he himself seeks out and rescues the lost sheep of Israel. This is what we saw in our last point. He, he goes and he finds the lost. We, we are lost and we need to be found and God does this himself and he does it in Christ. But not only that, he seeks them out and then he lovingly tends to them. He feeds them. He makes them lie down. He binds up the injured and he nurses the sheep back to life. He leads them to the good places like the mountains and the pastures. Ultimately, he does the continued, the continued work of caring for and loving the sheep. I think it's important for us to see this as a part of the process of salvation. We began with God seeking and saving the lost sheep. This is what happens in Christ. Jesus did this in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. The sheep were lost, but now they're found in Jesus. But the shepherd doesn't find the sheep only to let them starve and flounder in their sin. He doesn't save them only to allow them to experience a sort of death on this earth. No, he tenderly cares for them. He nurses them to life. He provides for them. He leads them in all the ways that are good for continued life. And the same is true in Christ. God doesn't just save us to let us languish in sin and death. No, he saves us, as Jesus says in John 10, that we may have life and life abundantly. God's shepherding care in Christ extends to our continued growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. God desires that we know Christ in salvation, that we be saved, but he desires also that we would continue to know and enjoy Christ forever. And so he continues to feed us in Christ. He continues to provide for us in Christ. He helps us to fight sin and to love righteousness. God's shepherding care is ongoing. It is tender. It is lovely. We are a broken people, marred by the fall, who are being mended actively and continually by our God. Once again, the question is, why is the Messiah coming as a shepherd a comforting word? Why? Because Jesus coming as a shepherd means that God is committed to tenderly loving and caring for us. Until Christ returns in glory, this work of sanctification is an ongoing work. It is a process that will be continually happening. From one degree of glory into another, we'll be transformed into the image of Christ. God's shepherding care is extended towards you. And so what are we to do? We're to lean into that shepherding care. We're to embrace that shepherding care. We're to be shepherded by the good shepherd. And there's all sorts of ways that that can happen. We do it simply by going to the word, encountering the living God in the pages of scripture. You're doing that right now. Please recognize that. You lean into the shepherding care of God by coming to the place where God has established under shepherds to minister the word. This is what Ephesians 4 is all about. God has set up certain people that they might 
uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you are submitting and leaning into the shepherding care of God even today. What we have to do is we have to continue in this. We have to abound in this and seek to embrace the shepherding care of our Lord. One more note on this, on this passage as it relates to this point. I find it so incredibly encouraging that all of this is true for the entire flock. It's true for the entire flock, but all of this is true for the individual sheep as well. It's true for the individual sheep as well. God shepherds his flock corporately, but he shepherds us as individuals too. My study for this sermon led me to a strange place, to modernfarming.com. I never in my life would imagine that I would have ended up at modernfarming.com, much less that I would be mentioning it to people out loud. But I did end up there, and it was actually really insightful learning about animals and modern farming practices. But one of the things that was really insightful was actually just a really biblical point. It was that, that a good sheep or a good shepherd, he cares for the, sh- for the flock in, in a really distinct and important kind of way. He leads the entire flock to pasture to pasture. He leads them and protects them, the entire flock. But a good shepherd not only cares for the entire flock, but cares for the individual as well. He, he carries the individual, he feeds and nurtures the individual, he shears the individual. He cares for that individual, and we see that in this verse. Jesus shepherds his flock, all of us, corporately, but he takes the lamb into his arms. He carries the lamb up against his chest. Please, this morning, be comforted knowing that God's tender, loving care is extended to you as an individual. Sometimes we can be quick to say, oh, this is true for all of us, but we fail to recognize that God's love is directed squarely at us. Know today that God's love is aimed at you. You, your family, your church, but you. I think this is very encouraging that this is ours in Christ. So why is this a comforting word? Because we were lost and now we're found in Christ. Because we were broken and now we are being mended in Christ. One final word. Why is this a comforting word? Because we are vulnerable and we need to be led. Because we are vulnerable and we need to be led. We see this last point in the very last line of verse 11. The shepherd is coming and he will shepherd his flock. And this entails gently leading those that are with young. Gently leading those that are with young. I love this line. Who are the most vulnerable amongst the flock? Once again, maybe uh, the answer isn't really obvious to us. We don't think a lot about flocks and herds in our society. But if we begin to think about this, I, I don't think it Uh, is a stretch of our imagination to to see those who are with young as the most vulnerable amongst us. Why? Well, those who are with young are are people who uh, willingly weaken themselves. They provide sustenance for the young. And so the young is built up all the while the, the one who is with young is pouring themselves out and weakening themselves. Those of you who are moms probably know what this is like. Not only that, but those who are with young, they're slowing themselves down. They're they're opening themselves up from being separated from the flock. They're so focused and cared, uh, they're so focused on this young one that they end up putting themselves in harm's way. They're vulnerable. They're open to danger. Destruction is waiting for them. 
of all the members of the flock, God chooses to highlight these. Why? Scripture testifies to the fact that God's heart uniquely beats for the vulnerable amongst us. God's heart uniquely beats for the vulnerable amongst us. He wants those of us who find ourselves in need, those of us who are hurting, those who are in pain, those who struggle for hope. He wants us to know that his shepherding care is extended to us. And so what does this mean for us as a church? To some extent, the reality is, is this is God's word for all of us. We are all vulnerable We live in a fallen and sinful world. We all experience the pangs of sin all around us, either by choice or just by nature of living or by virtue of living in this world. Charles Spurgeon describes us in the midst of this when he speaks of sheep. A sheep is one of the most unwise of creatures. It will go anywhere except in the right direction. It will leave a fat pasture to wander into a barren one. It will find out many ways, but not the right way. It would wander through a forest and find its way through ravines into the wolf's jaws, but never by its wariness turn away from the wolf. It can wander near his den, but it would not instinctively turn aside from the place of danger. It knows how to go astray, but it knows not how to come home again. Left to itself, it would not know in what pasture to feed in summer or where to retire in winter." I think this is true and I think this describes us. There's a reason why this imagery of sheep is used. And I think it's to remind us that we are people in and of ourselves, that we are in constant danger. We are in desperate need of a shepherd to come along and protect us and lead us and guide us because on our own, we will wander into destruction. We will wander into the wolf's den. We will wander away from the flock. We won't go to the pasture where we can eat. No, we need the tender, loving care of a shepherd for we are constantly vulnerable and in desperate need of guidance that the shepherd offers us. Why is this a comforting word? Because God's heart is for us. His shepherding care, his his tender, loving care is directed at us. He cares for us in the midst of our vulnerability. He is for us. That's good news this Advent season. But please know this too. There are some amongst us who are uniquely vulnerable. They are exposed to the realities of con- and consequences of sin in a very tangible way. And let us be a people who seek to develop the heart of God for these. If God's heart uniquely beats for the vulnerable, then shouldn't ours as well? This is a time of the year when people hurt in a profound way. Uh, loneliness abounds. Loss is magnified. Many people's physical needs go unmet. Not only that, but, but just as a society and as a culture, we are in a fractured time. Politically, we're fractured. Racially, we're fractured. All over the place, we're fractured. And there are so many who are hurting and vulnerable. And yet, as a church, we are called to be light in the midst of this. We are called to have a unique voice in the midst of this. For light stepped down into darkness. The good shepherd came and he sought out the lost. He found them. He purchased them by his blood. 
He is continuing to work in them. And now he cares for the vulnerable. He cares for the weak. He cares for the least of these. And we as the church are to have the aroma of Christ and we're to go and enter into this mess. And we're to speak words of life. We're to care for people's practical needs and we're to take them the gospel. Isaiah 41 through 11 has such an emphasis on heralding. We're to cry to Jerusalem. We're to cry to Judah. We're to cry that the, that the Lord has spoken and his word is sure that there is a good shepherd who comes to seek the lost sheep. Let us be people who herald these good words, these words of life. Let us enter into the fray. Let us be light in the midst of darkness. Let us seek to be the hands and feet of God this season. To close, I want to read Psalm 23. It's a, a psalm that uniquely speaks to the shepherding care of God. And I'd like for this to encourage us and provide a last word of comfort for us this morning as we consider God as our shepherd, the Messiah who comes as a shepherd. Read with me and I'll pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are a good and awesome God. You are a God who cares for your sheep. You know your sheep. And you have sought to love your sheep and pursue your sheep in the person and work of Jesus. Lord, we are grateful for, for Christ, our good shepherd. Lord, I pray now that you would help us to embrace and love his tender loving care. To lean into his shepherding care to be formed more and more to the image of Christ, to love Christ, to hate sin. This Advent season to pursue Christ in such a way that, that we demonstrate to this world how lovely and awesome he is. Father, help us. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would apply this word to our hearts. You would uniquely comfort us. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.